This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hey everybody, Matt Larkin here. The Hockey News Podcast is back. I've got Ryan Kennedy and Ken Campbell with me. And we are, we're not quite in the dog days of summer yet, but we're sort of creeping toward that. The offseason has really died down. And to start off today, guys, I want to talk offer sheets. I can't believe I'm saying it, but here we are. One did happen and a week has passed. So what I want to ask you guys is after the Sebastian Ajo supposed offer sheet... Are we going to see another one, or was that a one-off? I I hazard to say no, because we thought that it wouldn't happen, and it did already once. So it, it almost feels like now the, the gate has been opened a crack, and it I wonder if it's going to be somebody else that we did not expect, like a Kyle Connor in mm-hmm. Winnipeg. Not yeah. Patrick Laine in Winnipeg, but Kyle Connor in Winnipeg, a team knowing that the Jets have to sign both of them. The Jets do have a ton of cap space right now. But is it somebody unexpected as opposed to the usual suspect, Mitch Marner? I'm going to say I'm going to say that that the the offer sheet I think has come back to being a tool that GMs can use and will use. And I think it'll be used in the future. Uh, I'm not sure it's going to happen again this summer. I think if it does happen, if it does happen with Mitch Marner, and I, I've actually written about this for our website, um, I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to go beyond the summer, maybe into the season. And and that way, because I think that's the only way you can put the Toronto Maple Leafs into a position where they might not be able to match. You know what I'm saying? Right. Now, like if the roster's set or, you know, and, and then they just don't have the room. And then and then you, you kind of go after them. Because, because now it's like, Money? Like no. Now is, is there a deadline? I, I need to look this up. I, I don't remember. You can, you can you can sign you can sign a free sheet. agent to an offer sheet until December thirty first, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So, so there you go. I think it I think if this thing goes with Marner, if this thing goes into training camp, goes into the season, a la uh, yeah. uh, William Nylander, um, I think that there's a chance that you know that then then you put them in distress because then the roster set then they've got to they've got to do all kinds of sort of gymnastics to make it fit if you make it a prohibitive offer cap in terms of cap because the only way you're going to get them is on a cap crunch you're not going to get them on money because they'll just say oh wow all this up by upfront money oh, that's cute yeah. we're just going to go back to that. That uh, money printing machine we have in the back of the Scotiabank Arena, and yeah. we'll print out a couple hundred million dollars. Yeah. Right. And then, do you guys believe the conspiracy theory about Lou Lamorello revenge? That's being tabled a lot on Twitter. You know that as revenge for stealing away John Tavares, he's going to go out of his way to offer sheet Mitch Marner. Mm. I, I think the fact that the Islanders were able to re-sign Anders Lee decreases the odds of that yeah. happening because yeah. it took up yeah. a good chunk of cap space. But yeah. is there? Any validity to that, or do you think that's just pulled out of someone's bumbo? No, I. I <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, I have a three-year-old. All right. <laughs> no, I. No, I think that's pulled out of someone's hat. That one, because I mean, Lou Lamorello has been a GM in the league since what, 1985? Something. Like yeah, that. he's pushing you know 35 years as a GM in the league. Do you think he's going to get all wrapped up in this revenge business, and and he's and he's going to and he's going to lose all those picks and give a guy all that money just to stick it back to the team that that let him go a couple of years ago and then took their franchise player? I don't I don't think so. Yeah. Plus, if you look at how things went down with Robin Lehner, like clearly Lou Lamorello 
is a guy that looks at things very critically. He does not attach a lot of emotion to decisions. He wants what's best for his hockey team. Yeah. And if he can't make it work with a player that was there, then he goes another route. So I, I think uh, the other thing I find hilarious is anytime there's a leak involving the island, not even a leak, when there's rumors about the Islanders, it's like, well, you know nothing ever gets leaked from Lule Morella. Yeah. Yeah. So I tend not to believe anything that happens with the Islanders until it officially physically happens. Yeah, that's fair. And I think if we do see another offer sheet, it's going to be a repeat of what we saw with the Oilers more than 10 years ago. And it was the same GM doing the offer sheeting, right? So Kevin Lowe did it to Thomas Vanek and Dustin Penner because he was the guy clearly that had no problem with it. So mm-hmm. I think if there's another team that's going to attempt an offer sheet, again, it's Montreal. Well, they, they better do a, they better do a better job than, yeah, on this exactly. than they did on the I still maintain one. that was a fake offer sheet. People say, well, it was no risk. And I say, exactly. It was no risk and it was no gain because there was mm-hmm. no chance of it being friggin' accepted. So it's a fake offer sheet it's bs uh but i do think but it's still an offer sheet it's still technically an (laughs) offer sheet it's a pretend offer sheet though it's make-believe uh i do i do think if the habs go for it again it'll be Braden point in tampa bay because that's a team well speculation is is that he's already turned them down yeah that he's already turned them down well they've tried and they've already turned them down breaking news in my own mind Aho was their second choice okay well i guess uh let's just forget that point (laughs) let's just shove it back up my bum bum So let's move on to the unrestricted free agents. You got a three year old, are you racing? (laughs) A cool one. So we're going to move on to the unrestricted free agents right now. And there still are a few of the bigger names out there, and things have really died down. Of course, it's always very busy on July 1st, but Jake Gardner remains out there. Michael Furlan's still out there. you got Justin Williams still out there. Uh, and it does seem like this happens every year with a guy like Gardner. I remember it happened to Chris Russell a few years back. It's always a second-tier guy who's still reasonably valuable but isn't in the Tier 1, yep. and he sort of floats out there. And then Usually, usually this doesn't end well for the player. The player ends up getting a deal that isn't what he was hoping for. Right, so, because people run out of they run out, out of money, they run out of cap space, yeah, yeah. Right. So what do you guys think is going on? We'll start with Jake Gardner. Is it a matter of health? Is it a matter of people having a bad taste in their mouth because of his gaffes with the Leafs in the playoffs or what do you think is holding teams back from striking a deal with him right now? See, I think with Gardner, you you know what he is, right? You know he's a great puck moving defenseman who carries who who handles the puck a lot, so there's going to be a lot of giveaways, there's going to be the occasional egregious blunder that's going to lead to a big goal. You know that with him going in. What you don't know about Jake Gardner is what you mentioned, Matt, and that is what's his what's the situation with his back. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's what's keeping teams from um, really being serious about an offer here. You you've got to know that um, you know that that you're getting a, a player that can play for all the good things and bad things he brings can play to that level to the level that he's played in the last couple of years. And he clearly couldn't do that at the end of last season and in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So I think that's I think that's more than anything is what what's keeping teams kind of skittish. Yeah. And once you have that initial wave of July 1st free agents, everybody has to do a bit of a reset. And it's not only the teams, but it's also the players and their agents as well. Now, if you're Jake Gardner, you're saying, okay, well, I'm not going to Vancouver because Tyler Myers went there and I'm not going to, well, I mean, Eric Carlson had already signed to San Jose, so it's like he wasn't going to go to San Jose. Um, But you have to look, what are my options? Where do I want to play? Now the pool's not as big because some teams are just out. Um, So I I think for a couple of these guys, and, you know, Michael Furland's another example of a guy 
banged up physically. Yeah, you just don't know. You just you don't know. You don't. You can never. He's one of those guys you can never count on. Mm. You can't. Well, like, he got, he, can't. Got, he would come back from an injury and then he would get pulled Exa- in the same game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. like and and this isn't you know I mean it's not it's nothing against Michael Furlan's character, but when right. you can't count on a guy ever to be in your lineup like that you know i mean there are some guys you know he's going to play 75 games yeah. him you don't know he could play all 82 he could play 27 mm-hmm. yeah and, you know? and and that has a big impact on the number you know like mm-hmm. how much do you pay a guy who might only play 62 games right how much do you pay a guy that you know, is is definitely going to give you his all, but might not be effective, or or might be a little bit hampered. And again, going back to the sort of pecking order, you know, if you're a power forward, okay, well, Wayne Simmons is already off the board. He went to New Jersey, so you know, Michael Furlan's not going to New Jersey unless they're really bulking up. Yeah. Um, you start knocking off different places that have already got that type of player, and it is. You know, we don't have power forwards like we used to. It's 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 hard to find those players, uh, particularly at the prospect level. But that's why you get those weird valuations. You look at the Milan Lucic deal in Edmonton uh, a couple of years ago. But then you have to assess all these factors. And again, from from Furland's perspective, like does he want to settle? for a certain salary, or does he want to keep pushing and see if there's something else out there, and that's where you get a bit of a logjam. Right, mm-hmm. and I think the problem with guys like Ferlin and Gardner, it's not about money per se, it's about term. Uh, because if Gardner was looking for a two-year deal, it seems to be lining about the door. Sure, we'll take a chance at two years. Same with Michael Furlan. Mm-hmm. But Furlan, for example, mm-hmm. that type of game is going to not age his body very well. You look nope. at guys like David Backus and also Wayne Simmons that they hit 30 and all of a sudden their body's David 35. David, David Clarkson, Clarkson as well. Perfect example. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect so example. if Furlan's out there looking for a five-year deal, it's a pretty risky proposition. And I think Gardner especially, he has the resume and the accomplishments statistically to theoretically ask for a five- or six-year deal on paper. But then you factor in the back injury, I'm sure teams are trying to kind of dip their toes in the water offering him two or three years and maybe the, maybe you get sort of that standoff where his camp is still looking for a longer term deal yeah and and i think you i think you bring up a really good point matt is that this doesn't usually end great for the player like you could see jay gartner having to take a two-year deal now right. you know like cody franzen a couple years ago yeah that yeah. was drawn out and he ends up taking i think it was a one-year deal at the time uh, and then you also have the, the other tier of the UFAs that are still out there. It's the Justin Williams tier. And that happens every year where it's the elder statesman who's give or take 40 years old. Yeah, and it's yeah. more a matter of deciding if he's going to play at all. Yeah. And when when uh, when Don Waddell talked about the Sebastian Ajo offer sheet, he did say that Williams is kind of in that he doesn't he's not sure. But he's I think he said he's actually said he's leaning toward playing. And and if he's playing, I mean, I, I talked to him last year at the end of the season, and he said, if if I play, I'm I'm playing here. You know, his he's established there, his family's there. I mean, he I could see him being one of those guys that goes on the series of one year deals until it until both sides decide that it's it's not feasible. Right, like anymore, Joe Thornton right? is doing the same right, thing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So let's sort of look big picture now uh, for the offseason. Um, and this is this is the point where we kind of assess, okay, which teams have made their big moves, which teams have made questionable moves, but also which teams have made no moves. And I'm really kind of thinking about that. But um, if you look at the teams that have done little this offseason, which team, which team should be the most nervous about that? Okay, I, I'll start with this one. I'm going to table 
the Winnipeg Jets because uh, you lose Ben Chirot and Jacob Trouba from your blue line, Tyler Myers from your defense core, Kevin Hayes That's doing as your a second lot. line center. They, that's doing They've a lot. lost, right? They're bleeding. That's doing yeah. a lot. They're bleeding a lot. That's half a defense <laughs> yeah. core. They're bleeding <laughs> hockey players. Uh, and this is a team that had monster expectations going into last year. We did not help by predicting them to win the Stanley Cup, of course. Uh, and the Central Oops. Division is so competitive. Yep. And it's one thing to, to go, even going status quo in the Central is considered risky, in my opinion. But right. to do the opposite and just lose guys, uh, I'm worried about Winnipeg. It puts a lot of pressure, I think, on Jack Roslovic to play center and play center well because the Jets otherwise are going to have to do that, that center rental again, like with Stasny and Hayes, which mm. cost them a first-round pick both times. You can't keep doing that. Uh, and even guys like Sammy Niku, this this young generation, I always say that for your young guys, you want them to earn their way into the lineup, not yeah. be not get in by default. Right. If they earn their way, right. then they deserve it, and there's less pressure in that way. Um, but with Rostovic, you could end up having what happened to Casey Middlestat in Buffalo, where he was sort of just given a job by default of number two center. Yeah. Rostovic maybe be number three, and, and not necessarily Edmonton. ready. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, not and not yeah, not not being able to prove that you can do it. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So uh, that the Jets are my pick for the team that I'm most worried about right now, and it, and it's not like there's that much out there that they can add to completely change their fortune. I guess Jake Gardner actually yeah. Gardner would be a good fit for Winnipeg, yeah. but even if they add him, I, I still don't think that's enough to declare their offseason a win. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for me, I look at Detroit, and I'm a little nervous. You know, they made a couple of minor moves. Valtteri Filippola comes back. Um, Patrick Nemeth comes out of the defense core. But this is a team that we know they're rebuilding. They have the, the shiny new GM in Steve Eiserman. But I, I don't think they've done enough, and I don't think there was much there to begin with. And it's, it's just a little tricky where, you know, You've got some young guys that you do want them to earn spots. Phillips Adina, you know, you want you want to see uh, more Michael Rasmussen in the future, and that's all good. Um, they have some good young players, but it, I, I worry that they're going to get swamped, particularly in that division that's pretty top heavy, where they're facing Tampa, Toronto, Boston. You know, Montreal and Florida are going to be pretty competitive this season as well. I just worry that. If they get into that losing track, it's not going to be good for the rebuild, especially because they have those unmovable veteran contracts that kind of gum up the works where you can only bring up so many players Mm -hmm. because you've got so many veteran slots already taken up. They didn't do much in net. I mean, Calvin Picard comes in, but I, I just feel like I'm not seeing a lot of forward progress and... At least with Ottawa, we're going to see a lot of youngsters take on big responsibility. And I think, at least with the Senators, they're going to be fun and they're going to get the reps they need. You know, you're going to see uh, Eric Brandstrom get a shot. You're going to see Logan Brown get a shot. Thomas Shabbat is obviously going to continue being the workhorse on the back end that he has been the past couple of years. You're going to see loads of Brady Kachuk. I think that's all good for Ottawa. I, I don't see the same opportunities in Detroit. Yeah, and I, th- I think the Iserman situation is exactly why they haven't done that. I mean, he's got, he's bought himself a couple of years here, right? Yeah. So rather than rush in and start making some moves, maybe he takes, you know, takes a year to kind of figure out where the organization's at, where they're going, who they like, who they don't like, who, you know, what they're going to do, and then they start making moves. So I think that that's, 
I think that's sort of part of the whole plan. And I'll make a prediction. Next year, first overall pick, Alex Lafreniere to Detroit. <laughs> All right. There you go. Okay. Um, the team I would be worried about is Calgary. Um, you know, basically swapped goalies, which is cool. Uh, swapping goalies with Edmonton, not so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and that's pretty much... Like, that's pretty much all they've done, right? Yeah, it's been um, quiet. It's yeah, been quiet. and uh, for a team that bowed out meekly in the first round uh, in five games after winning game one and doesn't do anything to upgrade its lineup or improve its goaltending. I mean, David Riddich will go to arbitration, and there will be award, an award, uh, or he'll settle. So he'll he'll be there. He'll be under contract. But I don't know. I mean, I, I think that you might want to look at upgrading, and, and they haven't done that. Right. I, I think Calgary might be a candidate for Michael Fernland, actually. And I like the word you use there, Ken, meek, because they were meek in the yeah, first round when yeah. the refs put the whistles yeah. away. The game got a lot more physical, and Calgary didn't have that pushback. Uh, and Michael Fernland, if... He brings one thing. It's pushback. And right. he's obviously been a fit there before. Yep. Uh, I, I think there would be an ideal candidate. Again, it's just a matter of deciding what's fair value for him. Uh, so we're going to do a little bit of fantasy talk now. And one question I get asked a lot after the first wave of free agency is, which guys got the biggest boost from what's happened in the offseason mm-hmm. so far? So I'm going to throw out a few names for you. The first one is pretty obvious. It's Nazem Kadri. And uh, it's clear that Colorado has brought him in to be a number two center. And Kadri, while well, he showed that he can be a shutdown guy from an offensive and fantasy perspective, uh, it did hurt him when Tavares came in. And people knew that was going to happen. Uh, and before John Tavares came to Toronto, Kadri had two 30-plus goal seasons in a row. He does have a fair amount of offensive talent. He's got good power play acumen as well. So I think Colorado is going to find a way to deploy him, and maybe they find a way to create a stacked first unit where you find a spot for him, even though that would be four forwards. I could see it happening. But either way, uh, I think it's pretty much guaranteed that Kadri gets his old role back, and he'll be a value play, depending on the depth of your league. But he could be a good like third center for your fantasy team, second-line center in real life. That's guy number one. Hmm. Guy number two, it's a weird one, Semyon Varlamov. And it feels like, well, he's going to be splitting time on the Islanders with Thomas Grice. But people forget, you think at the the perception of Semyon Varlamov's relative value right now, it's not overly high, but it's much higher than Robin Lehner's and Thomas Grice was a year ago before they started working with Mitch Korn, who completely transformed both goaltenders. And to, to me, the fact that both goalies were so good, not just one of them, it's, it's the real testament to how good of a guru Mitch Korn is. And I think he will have that effect on Semyon Varlamov as well. So yes, he's going to be splitting with Thomas Grice, but I think you'll get a season maybe similar to Robin Lehner's last year, where you might get 45 games out of Varlamov, 40 games whatever it is but the rate stats are probably going to be really good that's guy number two number three Alex Galchenyuk this is kind of a weird one because if you look at the trade as a whole yes of course I think we all agree that Arizona won that trade getting Phil Kessel the better player but if we're just looking at Galchenyuk from a straight fantasy value perspective I think he gains a lot by going to Pittsburgh Uh, he has scored 30 goals in the past and there's an excellent chance that if Pittsburgh uses him on the wing he's going to have the best center he's ever had in his life by a mile Mm -hmm. whether he gets a shot with Crosby whether he gets a shot with Evgeny Malkin I think Malkin is more likely to be the one Mm -hmm. uh, because I mean Galchenyuk can play either wing but more commonly he'd be playing the left side yep. and Gensel often will play that with Crosby so I, I think you're going to see Galchenyuk with Malkin if I'm making a prediction now and that's going to give Galchenyuk a chance for the best offensive numbers of his career even if he's no Phil Kessel right on so future watch we're going to go with a similar theme you know uh, guys that maybe helped by some of these offseason moves and the first one 
It's obvious to me is Kale McCarr with the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, you know, the Avs made the big trade uh, for Nazem Kadri, giving up Tyson Berry. So you lose a great puck-moving defenseman in Berry, but you have Kale McCarr, who already showed in the playoffs that he is NHL-ready. I think he'll be a fantastic full-time rookie in the NHL and, and definitely a, a Calder Trophy candidate. Uh, similarly, in Nashville, Dante Fabro, a player who had a very nice college career with Boston University and you know already made his pro debut late last season. P.K. Subban goes to New Jersey. Not saying that Fabro is going to replace P.K. Subban, but at least there's a roster spot that you can pencil him in for full time and say, okay, Dante Fabro's going to get some decent minutes now as everybody else on Nashville fills in those PK minutes. And, you know, Fabro is a two-way guy. He can put up some points. I don't know if necessarily he's going to be a Calder candidate because it tends to be a very flashy category, but I think he's going to be a solid contributor to the Predators. And this is a first-round draft pick that they've been patient with, obviously, because he went NCAA, but I think it's going to pay off sooner than later. Uh, finally, uh, going to France for this one, Alexandre Tessier. Oh. Yes. Um, with the Columbus Blue Jackets, well-documented. They lost a couple of forwards of note this summer. And again, Tessier is not the heir apparent to Artemi Panarin or Matt Duchesne, but he has some skill. Uh, you know, he's got some sandpaper some, to his yeah, game. Yeah, big time, big time. Yeah. yeah, and you know, he's already played some pro hockey. Played in Finland, uh, then he played in the AHL, then he played in the NHL uh, for Columbus at the end of last year. Got into some playoff games, did not look out of place. Uh, I think this is the type of player that John Tortorella probably really likes. Uh, You get the maximum effort. You get a guy that's going to, you know, play that system and, you know, be hard on pucks. And again, you know, I don't think he's necessarily going to be a Calder Trophy candidate because he's probably not going to get you a lot of points. But I think he can be valuable, and I think he's one to watch in the Columbus system because, I mean, frankly, he's passed a couple of other forwards on the depth chart. Kenneth, you are the lord of hot takery, so what (laughs) do you taketh for us today? Well, um, you know, we talked off the top here about offer sheets, right? And whether or not Mitch Marner was going to get one, is Patrick Laine going to get one? Is you know Sebastian Aho, Aho? You can't call him Aho. My Finnish friend uh, uh, Sammy Hoffren loses his stuff when you say Aho. <laughs> Sebastian Aho. Well, he loses stuff. He got <laughs> he got an offer sheet. Why is nobody even mentioning Matthew Kachuk here? Mm. A guy with thirty five goals, thirty four goals, seventy something points. Lots of grit, lots of sandpaper. Um, a guy that, although, you know, I mean, he had a lot of company. He was he was one of those quiet guys in the playoffs uh, in the first round, and that's not what you would expect from no. him. Um, but, I mean, I'll give him a pass because he's a young guy and the whole team was was like that. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, if I'm thinking of offer shooting someone, this is a guy that I would seriously consider offer shooting. I mean, Calgary has $9 million in cap space. And they're definitely going to sign Sam Bennett and David Riddich because both of them filed for arbitration. Therefore, both of them are going to be guaranteed one way or the other to have a contract that's probably a fair contract. um, And they'll be playing next year. So that's what? Between those two guys, you're looking at what? Maybe five? Five yeah, million? Uh, yeah, that doesn't leave easily. a lot. You could really yeah. put them in a jam yeah. by, by offering a big-time offer sheet to Matthew Kachuk, a guy who... My goodness, I mean, he's... He does I, it all. Uh, yeah, and... 
can't you see his career going this right. way? Yeah. And see, and and for those just listening, not watching, Ken did the sort of ascending ladder. Oh yeah, uh, uh, hand motion. Yeah. But I, I think you're really onto something there. And uh, you know, even though I'm still sort of an offer sheet denier, I, I do admit that the best candidates for offer sheets come when there's a di- discrepancy between the the attacking team's valuation of the player and the existing team. And Matthew Kachuk is a guy that we know dating back to his time with the London Knights. He's got a very high offensive ceiling, and he yeah. might not have he might have not have even reached it yet. And there's a perception that he's this all-around guy who's also gritty and because of that like the Flames might think this guy's going to top out at 80 points but there yeah. might be a team out there and says no no this is a 95 point player yeah. we're going to we're going to offer sheet him for 10 10 and a half million his skill level is hugely hugely underrated in my opinion I mean and for that reason what you talked about everybody talks about the grit and the determination and the competitiveness and the dirty play and and all those and the Drew Doughty war and everything like that but what people don't realize is is how you know what kind of mitts this guy has. He, he might be Brad Marchand. Still, like Brad Marchand yeah. is a hundred point player, and you never yeah. know. Yeah. So I think if there's a scenario where Calgary's vulnerable, it's going to be if a team doesn't. You know what? Yes, we think that Calgary's going to try and sign him for let's say a nine million dollar AAV. Well, let's go an extra million and a half to see if that steals him away. You never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's go to some mailbag questions now. The first one is from Eric Richman. Oh, great name! Sounds like a villain in something like some comic or I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Archie <laughs> comic. I suck. Uh, and Eric says, I need in pen. my opinion, Ken's boring my pen. In my opinion, the Rangers had an amazing offseason. I agree. Uh, can you recall the best offseason for a team in the history of the league? Pretty Make epic work, question. Sir, Eric. And like that's the type of question befitting Eric Richmond. He's like, yes. perform for me, boys. Yes. So Make it happen. You kick it off, right? I don't know if this is too tongue-in-cheek, but in... The summer of uh, 1988, the Los Angeles Kings made a trade for a man named Wayne Gretzky, and uh, <laughs> without understanding things, kind of changed that entire franchise, kind of changed the entire sport of hockey as it would be, where all of a sudden, you know, hockey was something that was a big deal in California. We've seen the ripple effect at the grassroots level, but also, you know, the Los Angeles Kings became a really legitimate force. I mean, Gretzky took them. You know, to a Stanley Cup final uh, in '93, and you know they didn't win, but they came close. And from there, you know, like it, it wasn't a straight line to the Stanley Cup champion teams, but I think it went a long way of legitimizing that franchise and really getting things uh, solidified. And in the, and again, in the short term, it turned the Los Angeles Kings into a Stanley Cup contender, which. Before that, uh, they had not had very much success in the playoffs. Good pick. And, and you think about all the just Sunbelt expansion, and even like a player like Austin Matthews might be playing a different sport yeah. than Wayne Gretzky, right? If you look, think of the trickle-down effect and Austin Matthews growing up in Arizona and the Coyotes coming down probably is a trickle-down effect yep. from the Kings and go on and on, and maybe Austin Matthews would be playing whatever, baseball or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a very interesting pick. I'm going to go with the Colorado Avalanche 1995, okay? First... They're the most successful relocation in NHL history. They moved that offseason out of Quebec, mm-hmm. uh, and that turns out to be their Stanley Cup winning year. Uh, and But I love the the boldness. I believe Pierre Lacroix was their GM he at was. the time. He was. And uh, the moves that were made, uh, trading Wendell Clark, who was still pretty much close to in his prime at the time, uh, to get Claude Lemieux, bringing in a guy yep. who had that just 
playoff clutch pedigree. He had just won a Conn Smythe trophy, bringing in a Conn Smythe winner the very next year to, to your team. And a really bold move was, was trading Owen Nolan, who was really starting to come into his own. He was the first overall pick a few years before when the Colorado was still the Nordiques. And deciding, you know what, no, we need to make a bold move where we know we have a contending team, but we need to solidify our defense. And right before the season starts, uh, that or that move, sorry, I should say, the Wendell Clark move was done a few days before the season starts, but this is cheating a little bit. It was a few weeks into the season, so it's not quite an off-season move, but they did make the move sending Owen Nolan for Sanders Oslinch. So yeah. if you look at the relocation and the bold moves to bring in Claude Lemieux, and a few weeks later, Sanders Oslinch, I love that off-season for Colorado. It resulted in a Stanley Cup. And a couple of months later. And a couple of months later. A couple of months later, they get a pretty decent goalie. Yeah, yeah. not bad. Not bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they go on to win the Stanley Cup. And they get a rabbit's foot, a human rabbit's foot known as Mike Keane. Between Mike Keane and Claude Lemieux, like two of the ultimate rabbit's foot that win, they win everywhere, yeah. everywhere they go. Uh, Kenny, your turn. My team is the 2006 Boston Bruins, and it's interesting that, you know, uh, what, what's the guy's name here? Grandpa's got to lift up his glasses here. <laughs> Eric, Richman. Eric Richman talks about the the New York New York Rangers, who are led by Jeff Gorton, and the 2006 Boston Bruins. Gorton had a huge hand in building that team because that summer. He traded for Tuka Rask's rights from the from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Traded and, Andrew Raycroft in one of the one of the most lopsided deals of this generation. Maybe it might even be in there all time. Um, so there's so there's, so there's that. Then he goes to the draft and he drafts in the first round first round Phil Kessel, in the second round Brad Mar, uh, Brad Marchand. And in the third round, Milan Lucic. Woo! Um, so he does okay there. Then he hands the baton off to Peter Shirelli, who goes out and signs Zdeno Chara. Wow! Boom. So uh, there you go. There's your there's your blueprint for a team. You know, I mean, part of that, a lot of that, you know, three fifths of that is still a, a huge part of this team. That is, you know, a contending team that that made it to the Stanley Cup final. Absolutely. If our microphones weren't so expensive, I'd say drop that mic because that, that might be the winning answer right there. No, 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 my God. I'm just going to throw it. <laughs> Steve, Steve and our producers giving a major thumbs up and mouthing, no, 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 no. Uh, next question is from another doozy of a name, non-alcoholic beer leaker. Mm asks, uh, any first-rounders you think will make an immediate impact for their team next season beside the top two? So other than Jack Hughes and Capo Caco, Ryan being Mr. Draft, we'll give this one to you to start. Yeah, this almost feels like cheating because I'm going to go with the numbers three and four picks, uh, Kirby Doc with Chicago and Bowen Byram with Colorado. I don't think either of them is a lock to necessarily even make the team, but because of how many college committed players we had at the top end I don't think we're going to see a lot of wiggle room there I don't think we're going to get a lot of surprises I suppose mm-hmm. more at Cider with Detroit could be another big surprise because it's not like Detroit is loaded uh, is he even going to play though is he going to play in Detroit who knows right mm-hmm. like I mean it's going to come down to camp and how he does there but he has the size and he, you know he does have pro experience that would be a long shot for yeah. me yeah. it always feels like there's one player a year, at least, that surprises and sticks. Um, and every year it's like, ah, I don't know about this year. But, you know, we know Jack Hughes and Capo Caco are going to be there. Kirby Doc, you know, because he has the size and quite a bit of WHL experience, I could see him making the Blackhawks and not looking out of place. And with Byram, because of his raw talents on the back end because he was so successful at the end of the year with the WHL's Vancouver Giants I could see him 
playing some games with Colorado, maybe even sticking. Uh, you know, And for all these kids, it's always their goal to go straight to the draft, so you never have to que- question the motivation. But those would be the two players I could see doing it. But I do think it's probably just going to be Hughes and Kako ultimately. Okay, I'm 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 going all in. I'm doubling down. I'm going all in I on know. this guy. I know. Where this I'm pushing is going. all my chips into the middle of the table here. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cole Caulfield. Yeah. Yeah. Cole yeah. Caulfield. Yeah. I I'm still not convinced. I am I until he actually shows up at Madison, Wisconsin, and starts going to class and playing hockey for that team. I am not I'm not 100 convinced he's going to be playing there next year. And if he's not playing there next year, that means he goes to training camp and he has a shot to make. The team and if he makes the team he has a shot to play and i'm not giving up on that one yet i like it i love i love that you're all in on that yeah I'm all in. Like, I'm all in. Just I'm, like the Habs. Just, just like yeah. my, all my chips are going right in the middle on Cole yeah. Caulfield. It's a high risk, high reward. There you, there you go. I would have had an answer I was excited about, uh, but I, I'm a thumb injury away from having the answer that I want. True. Uh, I agree with Ryan. Actually, I, I think this is going to be a draft class where we're going to see just the two. It just feels like, especially because, you know, Byron at the top and Colorado, like they have a lot of other good young defensemen. There's yeah. no reason to really rush him right now. Uh, but Dylan Cousins, yeah. to me, had a great opportunity in Buffalo because they're so desperate for help mm-hmm. up the middle and he's got great size and he's got a body that might have been like compared to most of the kids and yeah. it's already but then the thumb I don't I mean last time I checked I, I don't know yet what the full diagnosis of the thumb is how long it's going to keep him out uh, hopefully it doesn't cost him camp mm-hmm. but if, if I were to pick a sleeper to make a run yeah. and surprise because of his body I, I would have picked Dylan Cousins yeah uh, next question is from Ronan Muldoon. Wow, the names are just just home runs today. Ronan, uh, Muldoon. Ronan Muldoon asks, who will fall out of the playoffs next season? And or that will be a surprise. That will be a surprise is for, for being honest with <laughs> Ronan's language. But, you know, we'll let it slide, Ronan. Sick. That will be a surprise. Is. Yeah. Uh, so who's your team? Let's, let's hear it. Who's your team that is going to slip out, if anybody? I'm going to go straight to the top and say St. Louis. Oh, my God. That would be surprising. <laughs> Spit take. Let's admit it. Spit take. Let's admit. That would be surprising. But there's also... Not unprecedented. Not unprecedented. And here's the thing. The Blues play in a super tough division. You know, the Central, You know, we were doing some rankings in the office earlier today for the yearbook. And it's just really hard to place teams in the Central. I, I You know... I guess if you look at Minnesota and Chicago, you say, all right, well, they're probably not in the mix. But then otherwise, like Nashville, Dallas, Winnipeg, um, you know, there's a lot that can happen there. And oh, Colorado as well. Uh, So like for St. Louis, yes, they're the Stanley Cup champions. Yes, they're a pretty solid two-way team overall. But what happens if Jordan Bennington's magic runs out? What happens if they get into some injury problems? What happens simply if they just don't get enough points in the Central? I mean, we right, we right, kind of assume right. that the Pacific's only going to have three teams because the Pacific looks really weak this year. Oh, yeah. However, I mean, if there's a fourth team there that gets enough points, then all of a sudden, you know, like St. Louis is going to so be in some trouble. So it's up to Arizona to get to get off their keisters That's right. here. The bum bum, the bum bums, and, uh, and start making a race of this. Yeah, you know. And I mean, I could totally see that happening if Arizona's playing, you know, more weaker Pacific teams, and St. Louis has to run that Central gauntlet. I'm not saying it's fair, but 
I, I could see St. Louis missing the playoffs by like one point, and it would not be surprising. Ooh, ooh. I think that's what they missed by the year before, wasn't it? Or close to that? It was close, yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, I'm going to go with the New York Islanders um, uh, because, as you've pointed out many times, Matt, and I defer to you on all things analytics because you're the guy, a lot of the success that the, that the New York Islanders had, you could argue, was predicated on their goaltending rather than a, a Barry Trotz defensive system, which I think they think anybody can play behind because I'm not sure in what world... Uh, Semyon Varlamov is an upgrade on Robin Lehner if you com- go by last season. I, right. I I don't know what world a four times five for Semyon Varlamov is an upgrade. I I, I don't get it. Anyways, and so I think they've they've downgraded a little bit in that position. And you never know. I mean, if if the analytics are 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 right and the and and it regresses to the mean, is that what we're talking yeah, about here? Yeah. yeah, you might be looking at a Colorado situation from a couple of years ago. From 2013-14, right, yeah, right where, yeah, so, where Varlamov of all people yeah, was the one who carried them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Full, Full circle. Okay, good pick. Uh, yeah. I'm going to go with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I've been saying this for a while now that they're following the path of the Chicago Blackhawks from a few years before. And the Blackhawks were steadily declining, and then they got swept in the first round, and then they were out of the playoffs the next year. Pittsburgh Ooh. declining, swept in the first round this year. I think that might culminate in out of the playoffs this year. We look at that defense score. It has not been improved. And actually, they got rid of Olimato, so they lost a body from it. Yeah. Uh, and yes, I understand the the reasoning behind the Phil Kessel trade, uh, bringing in Galchenyuk and getting Pierre-Olivier-Joseph. I think I think it actually was a smart move overall for the franchise. Long like I said, term, yeah, term, in yeah, Pittsburgh, sure. and yeah. just like Arizona did, they're finding some reclamation projects like Dylan Strome, in this case, Alex Galchenyuk. They're trying to find value out of guys that couldn't quite tap into their potential. So I like it long term getting younger, but Colorado or, or Chicago did that last year and they also missed the playoffs. And right. I don't think we, I don't think anyone would disagree that going from Kessel to Galchenyuk uh, just this coming season is going to be a downgrade. Yep. Um, because Kessel, even if he doesn't get along with Mike Sullivan, is still being a great player for the Penguins big reason behind their two Stanley Cups uh, in 16 and 17 so uh, to me this Penguins team is undoubtedly worse on paper their biggest addition is the massive overpay for Brandon Tanev uh, and the Metro is just compl- it's churning with change yeah. right now you've yeah. got the top two picks in the draft were added to that that mixture Kako and Hughes and, and Subban's joining the Metro division and Artemi Panarin is in the Metro now Jacob True by the Rangers and Devils and yeah. the Flyers have added a new coach as well there's so many teams making aggressive moves uh, in that division and the Penguins are not just stagnant, but they're, they're you could argue they're actually getting worse. Uh, so I don't know. It's going to be very dependent on Matt Murray being healthy. And, of course, you do have Crosby and Malkin, but that's not necessarily the only thing you can have to win. You need, yeah, you need because, more players. because a team with Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane didn't make the playoffs. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think I'm not saying that the Penguins are going to be a last-place team, but I think they're going to be a bubble team. So that's my pick. So before we say goodbye this week, everyone, uh, be sure to check out newsstands. We have the Champions Issue, Alex P. Trangelo on the cover, holding that cup with fireworks in the background. And we got stories on the winners from every single league, pro league in the world in that issue. It's a great issue. And also look for our Meet the New Guy issue, which is coming out any day now. Mm-hmm. It's got P.K. Suman and Artemi Panarin on the cover. So please buy it and read it. Thanks for listening, everybody.